Welcome to another edition of the Green Beige Podcast. As always, that is AJ. He is the green. I am Ken. I am the beige. And this is the recap of week number five in the NFL. AJ, how are you doing, my brother? I'm good, bro. Um, chilling. <laughs> Still um, waiting to organize some stuff since the move, but generally everything's been good. How's everything on your end? Well, today has been a, a little bit on the chilly side here on the Moton Talk. You know, it's fall after all. Summer has passed and things are things are definitely changing. You can feel it in the air. You're going to have a hard time selling that area to me. Huh? All you have to do is come and you will see just how wonderful it can be One on day. the Moton Talk, of course. Now, we have a lot to get to this week. This week has been busy. As I mentioned in one of our WhatsApp chats, it feels as if every time we record and then we put our show up, all hell breaks loose <laughs> on Wednesdays. But before we can yeah. even get to the craziness that was happening on Wednesday, it would be remiss of us if we don't go off the rip and start with one... John Gruden. Now, everyone in the football sphere has to know by now that John Gruden is out as the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. And it, he said he resigned. However, you know, we know how this usually goes where someone is forced to resign or they, they opt to resign so they're not fired. However, Mr. Gruden, he has been engaging in some less than stellar behavior. He has been caught up with some emails. I mean, it almost feels like if we are back dealing with Hillary Clinton running for president. But I digress. So on Friday last week, we heard that... Um, John Gruden was found to have sent an inappropriate email using racist language describing the executive director of the NFL Players Association, Mr. Demoris Smith. And Gruden, he spoke to that on Friday. He, you know, he apologized for it. He said that he was sorry about what he has said about D. Smith. And Mark Davis, the owner of the Raiders, he, you know, he was the guy that handpicked Gruden for this position. That's his boy. So Mark Davis, you could tell he was trying his utmost best to find a way not to have to get rid of John Gruden. And then the avalanche came on Monday to the point where during the Monday Night Football game, then we hear that Gruden is resigning. Now, he, in these emails that came out, and we still haven't seen the, the full extent of them, there were comments on Roger Goodell, Eric Reed, Joe Biden, women's referees, Michael Sam, who you might remember was the first openly gay football player, um, Barack Obama, and all of these emails were full of racist, homophobic, and sexist comments. And these were not just like one-offs. These are emails that he had sent from 2011 
to 2018 while he was you know one of the main voices in the nfl monday night football broadcast booth for espn so aj when all of this is coming out what what's going through your mind what what's your reaction um well firstly let me, let me start and then go back um to start off the most recent events i think he got exactly what he deserved he doesn't need to be um, the head coach of any NFL team. He doesn't need to be in, in any kind of um, position of, of, for want of a better word, power right now with regards to like anything in the sports industry, right? Um, I must say, though, for some reason, I'm not aggrieved as I was with, with Urban Meyer's four parts. But you know, you know why? Because for me, actions speak louder than words. And I feel like we, we'll get into Urban, but... In this case, mind you, I, I'm not, I'm not um, saying that, that I'm not trying to absolve Gruden of any blame from what he said. Everything that he said is disgusting and deplorable, right? And it happened over a period of time. But I'm just not surprised that it happened. A middle-aged white man just basically speaking ill about anything progressive, I'm not surprised. That's, that's what it is. I'm really not surprised. Like, we've seen this movie before, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I usually give people, I'm, I'm, I'm the kind of person that whether I know you or not, I give people the benefit of the doubt until they prove me wrong. You are innocent until proven guilty with me, right? So I don't assume the worst. I, didn't, I don't assume that Gruden would be a racist. I don't assume that any of you white men are racist. But that being said, when certain situations come to light, they just don't, rent, like, they just don't leave me shocked. And in this case, I'm not shocked. I'm just not. And, and, and he has a very outspoken sort of personality seems to, from, from what we've seen from before, right? He has a very outspoken personality. He seems to be the kind of individual who says exactly what is on his mind, what he thinks. He has no filter on his mouth. So I'm not surprised that those thoughts, well, he didn't verbalize them, but he put those thoughts down in, in an email and sent them, you know, and this was over a period of time. So it's not like it's a one-off. As you said, it was between 2011 and like 2018 when he was and in the And 2018. Mm-hmm. Right. I, it's, I'm, I'm, it's just that I'm not surprised. I'm not, Ken. I, I, I think um, what, what happened uh, was the best course of action for right now uh, with him being released from his job. And I honestly believe that right now Gruden is done. Because I don't, I don't see what team or organization is going to take a chance on John Gruden after everything that was said. I mean... I mean, he, he's a white man, right? So let's be honest. In certain situations, if, it, if, if it's one thing, you may find someone willing to give him another chance just because of who he is and what his profile is. But this man bad talk everything, Ken. <laughs> the man has something to say about every, about every, every faction. I, I, he, 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 could, he couldn't want a job. I mean, you know what? You know, you know what is funny too? I mean, because this is about email, not funny in that sense, but it's about emails leaking. And I saw a tweet from, I can't remember who it was, but kind of like, I think it was some type of like NFL insider or reporter, something like that. And he said this, the way this situation has gone about shows you, and, and the fact that Dan Snyder and the Washington football team situation is still being kept quiet in regards to the culture and all the disgusting things happening there, it goes to show you the difference between the people who write the checks and who cash them. <laughs> but that's a different discussion for this different time. Um, 
I don't know if you saw today as well, but the Bucks have disassociated themselves from John Gruden as well. Yeah, yep. they, they basically remove him from the ring of honor. Um, I, I, I feel like Gruden is done. I honestly think that Gruden is done in, in any capacity in, this, in, in the industry. I, I think at this point, it's too much of a risk for anyone to try and bring him on and, and look past his, and look past these, these discrepancies uh, this and this disgusting behavior. Um, yeah, that's basically it. Gruden's done, I believe, and I'm, I'm just not surprised, generally. So, one of the things when I was looking up this situation, because, I mean, if you just put in John Gruden and emails, a whole lot of stuff comes up. So, as you talked about, you know, the difference between the folks who are writing the checks and those who are cashing the checks. I was interested to see who Gruden was actually sending these emails to. Mm-hmm. So, Bruce Allen, who was then the president of the Washington football team, apparently he and John are boys, you know, they're good friends. So, mm-hmm. a lot of this stuff that he was sending, he was sending to old Brucey. Mm-hmm. Then, Ed Drost, um, who is the co-founder of Hooters. So that lets you know the kind of guy that we're dealing with. And then there's Jim McVeigh, oh who is the executive who run the Outback Bowl, and Nick Reader, mm. a guy down in Florida, who is the founder of PDQ Restaurants. Okay. Now, I remember when this whole situation was unfolding, and we first only heard about the Morris Smith um, email that he had sent. I said on Twitter that I did not believe that the Demoris Smith email, even though it would it did have some racial connotations, was going to be enough to make mm-hmm. him lose his job. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget, John Gruden had a 10-year, $100 million contract with the Oakland, at the time Oakland, no, Las Vegas Raiders. John Gruden, his comments about Demoris Smith well yes they were deplorable they were about a man who the rest of the league doesn't really seem to like very much Mm. and on top of that it's not just um, those who are in power that don't like him but he has lost a lot of support of the players as well Mm -hmm. so while Gooden has been saying whatever he was not necessarily at the point where he was now going to become persona non grata because he talked bad about Tamara Smith. However, when you now take it even further than that and you decide that you're going to go after the LGBTQ community, you're going to start talking bad about women, you're going to be engaging in all of these different things over a continuous period of time, then that makes it difficult. When you're still making racist comments, you're still making homophobic and sexist comments over a seven-year period. Mm-hmm. And now you're coming into the league where you are going to have to work with women who are referees and women who are assistant coaches on other teams. You're going to have to work with an openly gay player on your team you have all of these things that are now start against the mindset that he has displayed for seven years. And it's not as if to say that Gruden was 14 
when he sent these messages. Exactly. And now he's 24. Exactly. He was a big, hard Batman to use Caribbean parlance. He was fully grown. He knew what he was doing. Now, we could say that for him, in his mindset, he may be a little bit unlucky to be caught up in the wash because his emails were uncovered because of this situation that you alluded to with the Washington football team and their cultural issues mm-hmm. over there. And now all of a sudden it's like, wait a second, but but what was, was, was this? So now we have mm-hmm. Gruden now caught up in the wash and chances are he might not be the only one. We have to wait and see if anything else comes out, what else mm-hmm. comes out. But as you said, Gruden right now he is radioactive and there is nowhere for him nowhere for him to go he can't go back to ESPN because he sent all these emails while he was working for ESPN there's no other team in the league that can bring him in at this point so he Mm -hmm. is done I really hope he's been saving his money because the rainy day has come and this is going to hit him just like it hit the people in Noah's time when the flood started. I Now you know that I have been critical. I have been very critical over the last couple of years of John Gooden and his decision-making as the head coach and de facto general manager for mm-hmm. the Las Vegas Raiders. But nowhere on my bingo card did I have that John Gooden was going to be the first coach fired. Yeah, I, I mean, agreed. <laughs> not, not, yeah, definitely not. Not, not with really the way the season was going. I wasn't, and, and especially as you alluded to the contract. You know, Mark Davis did not want to you know, want to relieve him of that contract at this stage because this is what the year three, four. He's no into year four. four. This is four. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. So four of he ain't even halfway through. Correct. So, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't have picked that to happen and. I just want to kind of like go back and piggyback off of something you said because in one of the chats today, um, uh, one of, another one of my boys, he was basically saying that I don't know if he comprehends the full severity of the situation, but he felt like Rudin being fired. Well, number one, it doesn't solve anything. On and number two, it was kind of excessive. No, the issue, the issue with that I was trying to explain to, my, to, to him is that this man is a head coach. It's not like this is a player that, you know, that these men could mess up and say one thing, but then, you know what, it's like, all right, we, we give them an, another chance. This is, this is a man who is responsible for developing a culture of a team within the locker room. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that he's saying these, like he's a head of an organization, essentially. And the fact that he's saying these kinds of things, it is going to, to, to basically... Is not going to sit well in the dressing room and not just with players, but also with um, other personnel, other coaches and, and that kind of thing. And, and like you said as well, it's not as if this man is 14. You can't even send in John Gruden now to go and take some sensitivity training. Right. John Gruden was like, he's, I think he's like 57. He's in his late 50s now. So either mm-hmm. way, it was a, again, as it, to use Caribbean parlance, he was a big hardback 40-something-year-old 40, 40 man when he mm-hmm. made these comments. There's no way from 48 to 58 or whatever the case is that John Gooden changed his stance on, on, on um, the, the progressive um, the pro- and has a progressive outlook on the world. No, there's no way. So he has to go. He, he, has, has, to go. he has to go. 
And no, you just made mention of one Urban Meyer. And that, I mean, that segues perfectly into the second coach that we have to talk about this week. No, we just made passing mention of this situation last week. But for those who may have missed it, allow me to summarize quickly. Urban Meyer, after the game that the Jacksonville Jaguars lost to the Cincinnati Bengals, he does not fly back to Jacksonville with his team. He decides that he is going to just go out and spend some time with his family after the game. But I don't know if his family is at his bar that he was at. Well, then again, I know his family was not at his bar because his wife tweeted a photo of her at home with the children, you know, getting them a bath and all that kind of stuff. While Urban is seen seated at the bar and there is a young lady who is dancing on him and in front of him. One angle made it seem as if Urban was just sitting there and just letting this woman do as she felt like. And then there's another angle that shows that his hand was doing some feeling of its own. So there was a lot going on with Urban um, and this bar situation. Now, this got the attention, of course, of the owner, Shad Khan, who issued a stinging rebuke of Urban Meyer. He said, I have addressed this matter with Urban. Specifics of our conversation sorry, will be held in confidence. What I will say is his conduct last weekend was inexcusable. I appreciate Urban's remorse, which I believe is sincere. No, he must regain our trust and respect. That will require a personal commitment from Urban to everyone who supports, represents, or plays for our team. I am confident he will deliver. Now, this is the first time that we've heard anything really from Shad Khan to start with. And this is the first time in my recollection that an owner has come out so strongly against a coach and his activities, his behavior, without firing him. And let's not forget that the Jacksonville Jaguars at this point in time are own five. So, AJ, my question to you is this. When... Not if, when does Urban get fired? Uh, so, first of all, I, I would say, right, that I, I, you, you know how I feel about Urban Meyer, Ken. Yes. It's well documented. Anyone who watches this show frequently knows how I feel about Urban Meyer. But I will say, and this is not in his defense, and this is me being fair. I don't think that this, this instance in, like, in isolation is a fireable offense. I think this is, this is something that he has to deal with on a personal side, on a personal note. The, the, the egregious part about it from a professional standpoint is that he did not fly back with his team, right? Mm -hmm. No, that can affect the team. But I don't think that he should have been fired for this issue, like the whole scandal, essentially. I don't think he'd be fired for that. However, that being said, it still does, it still does matter, generally, number one, because 
as I already stated, him doing that meant that he did not fly back with his team. And he had, like, Ken, I avoided listening to the, to the, the pathetic response that came out of Urban Meyer's pie hole for the entire week or whatever since it happened. Anytime it came up on TV and I was watching something, I went and muted the TV. I don't want to hear a single word out of Urban Meyer's mouth. But what I was able to ascertain is that apparently at some point he said that he felt like it was a way to, to blow off steam or something. So because after the loss and whatever. You mean to tell me as a head coach, your team just lost. And instead of you trying to go back to the drawing board after 0-4 start of the season to see what you can improve, you do not fly back with your team. This, this is the part that bugs me the most, you know. Like, I already think that Urban Meyer is a disgusting woman. But what he does in his personal life, that's up to him and his wife and his family. It, it is, the, it is the, the, the not flying back with your team. Like, it's, and I'm pretty sure you heard some other reactions as well. That's unheard of. Mm-hmm. That is unheard of. And then the pathetic excuse afterwards about finding some way to blow off steam. Are you serious? <laughs> find some way to win games that's what you need to do find some way to win games so to, to, to i'm saying all of, all of this to go back to your initial question when should he be fired well he's a month in he's already he's already done so many things that like if you lump them up is like I, I i'm i know for sure that there's no way that all 53 men on this roster at this time trust urban meyer or have faith in him or believe in him as a leader right I think that's what you keep an eye on going forward. And, and with him, if, if, it, if this team really looks like it's heading to 0-16, get rid of Urban Meyer. Because he can't seem to make good decisions off of the field, and clearly he's not making any on, on them. There's no way that Urban Meyer should be in a position to, to have his team go 0-16. Not no. So um, if, if it seems like they're 0-5 right now, if it I would say in, in, in another month or so, actually, if, if they're eight, like heading to nine losses and don't, and, and, and a win is not on the horizon, yo, even the Jets won a game. Even mm-hmm. the Jets. <laughs> even, the, even the Lions, who are, who are, the Lions who are winless, look like a more cohesive unit and a proper football team and organization. The kneecap biters yep. look better than the Jacksonville Jaguars. If Urban Meyer goes like oh, eight, oh it's anywhere between 08, 08, and 09, let him go. It's not going to get any better. So I actually said to myself that if or when Urban should be fired, if they do not fire him before then, at the rate things are going, the minute that they hit double-digit losses without winning a game, he has to be fired. So we're not very far off then. No, you're, you're eight and nine. I have it at mm-hmm. 0 and 10. From the time oh, you 10. hit 10, okay. from the time that happens, mm-hmm. he should be man enough to walk into Shad Khan's office and say, listen, right? Clearly this is not working. I'm just going to go. And he should go. But when I look at this entire situation, like you, I don't believe that just going out to the bar and having a girl dance on you is a fireball offense by itself mm. however as you said the not flying back with the team that's a problem 
And every commentator I have heard, and I, I try not to listen to too many so that I don't have too many people coloring my, my thoughts on these issues. Mm-hmm. But every commentator I have heard said, as you said, that this is, this is unprecedented. When the teams are leaving the facilities and going wherever as a team, the coach is at the front of the bus. He's at the front of the plane. Right. We are right. all moving together as a unit because that is what we are. We are a unit. So mm-hmm. for Urban to decide that he's not doing that, I mean, to take it outside of football for a second, you know how we people used to uh, criticize like the big named and the huge basketball players because they would take certain um, le- leverage their position to mm-hmm. be able to do certain things. Yeah. And how we heard that anytime any team James Harden was playing for that was in Atlanta, that yeah. they used to stay over an additional day so that he could do whatever he wanted to Magic do. Magic City, yeah. yeah. There you yeah. go. So if Urban wanted to do that, then why not let's all stay and we all fly back tomorrow? Right, right. Agreed. But he didn't do that. So and and the, let me just, let me, sorry, not to cut yeah. you, but just, just to add on to that. I, you, know, you know what to me would have been acceptable as well? If, if he wanted to stay back by himself, I, I actually would not have had an issue if he did this when they had a bye week coming up, you know, mm-hmm. and, and take some, just take some time. If, if you know you want to decompress it, all right, you know what? We have a bye week, so we, we have a good set of time before the next game. I'll just take Everybody, some- everybody mm-hmm. just go your own it's way. A, correct, correct, correct. I would, have, I would not have had a problem with that. But, but in this manner, no, nah, I'm sorry, go ahead though. Right, so so now we have him staying back in it, and this now being the situation that then presents itself because he decided to do something that he should not have done. You know, as we always used to hear, coming at the devil finds work for idle hands. Whenever you find yourself in a spot that you're not supposed to be, chances are something just happened, and then you end up getting caught being in the spot that you were not supposed to be. So all of that is all being lumped into this situation. Now, you made mention of him losing, potentially losing some of the players in the locker room. They said that Urban spoke to the players. He spoke to the mm-hmm. coaches. He spoke to the owner about this situation. And he, apolo- he apologized to everyone. They said that after he, he had this, this heartfelt apology to the players and he left the room, the players bust out laughing. The players started laughing at their head coach. He's already lost the locker room. He has already lost the locker room. There is no way that he comes back from this because, you know, one of the main adages we always hear is that winning, you know, papers over the cracks. Right now, they have some massive fissures that there is no covering. There is no covering Mm -hmm. there. And clearly, he is not the one to be able to try to bring this situation back around. I, would, I didn't even know that part. So yeah, he's already lost a dressing room. And I, I feel my stance on eight, on eight, on eight then. Yeah, he's still giving till 10 because That's fair. Chad, can, Chad can seem to have wanted him similar to how um, the guy over there in Vegas wanted Gruden. So, Chucky, yeah. So, he may, you know, he's he's probably going to give him so much rope that he has no choice then but to hang him. Now, after we talk about the these coaches and, and what they've been up to, there has some other stuff that went on and some player movement, 
excuse me, player movement that is similar to what we would have been discussing in um, the off season. Mm-hmm. Every week we were talking about things that were happening. It felt like if our opening segment was this week in the NFL, and <laughs> now we're back to again this week in the NFL defensive player of the year for 2019, your former cornerback Stephon Gilmore. We were waking up on Wednesday. Because, like I said, all hell seems to break loose on Wednesdays. We woke up on Wednesday to hear that Stephon Gilmore was being released. Quickly after it was talk of him being released, then he was traded to the Carolina Panthers for a six-round pick. Now, this is especially important for Stephon because apparently he is a native of South Carolina. He attended Rock Hill High School and South Point High. And then he went to the University of South Carolina and lives in Charlotte in the off season. Now, AJ, this is your, well, your former player who has been traded away basically for peanuts. So when you see this happening, what are your thoughts? How do you feel about this? I expected Gilmore to be traded up like in last season, a year ago almost. So I'm, I'm genuinely not surprised. I, I knew it was coming. I, I was shocked to wake up and read that he was being released. I was like, man, you mean we going to get anything from him at all? <laughs> but then turns out we, we get another Tom Brady pick for him. Obviously, he's not going to be the likes of Tom Brady, but I just, you know, six round. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it obviously reeks of desperation. It's like, all right, you'd rather get something for him than let him be a free agent and go to a team that he can possibly strengthen. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know how, how it was worked out, or if it was any kind of goodwill that he ended up back home. I highly doubt it, um, but it could be just be some sort of um, coincidence. But I'm not surprised. Um, he hasn't played for a while. Obviously, he's in his early 30s now. Um, contract talks had stalled. It wasn't that Bill didn't want to pay him, but Bill wanted to see him fit before he gave him the pay raise. It didn't happen. Um, he was on um, the PUP list for a little while. Uh, right now, the Patriots' offense is what stinks, but the defense is a top five defense in the league. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he's necessarily like. Obviously, he's a he's a top player, so you know he he will definitely make make our secondary better than it is. But the fact of the matter, you know, you know the Patriots mantra is next man up. So mm-hmm. it, the, the, the defense has been doing a job without him. So instead of paying him, and you know how Bill is, Bill will move on from you before you have the chance to deteriorate as a player before his eyes. So he moved him on. I'm, I'm not surprised. Again, like I said before, like we've seen this movie. So I'm not surprised. I'm not hurt. I knew it was going to come to an end. I never expected him to retire a Patriot. I'm really grateful for what he did. He was arguably my favorite player when he was there, but the time, the time had come. I'm sorry it had to end this way, but, you know, the time had come. Well, as I, as I had told you, when we talked about this, when it, just after it happened, so first we heard that Gilmore was out completely. We just knew that yeah. he was done. Okay. And then we hear, oh, he's being traded to the Panthers. Okay, no, I didn't know all about this this homecoming thing, but I I said that I really really wanted Stephon Gilmore to come to New Orleans because I can't see what team wouldn't like that that needs colors. 
Yeah, but I did, then you know, having read all of what I've read and seeing that you know that like he he's from Carolina, he was a Panthers fan all this time. I have come to peace with the, with the fact yeah. that he was never going to put on black and gold because mm. that's a straight division right from the chances that he hates or gets just like how we <laughs> really don't care anything about the Panthers. <laughs> so I I've had to come to terms with that, but it was like. We, we're going to release you and then we put it out that we're going to release you so Carolina picks up the phone and is like well if we don't get him because you know one of the places that was rumored to be looking to bring him in as soon as he as soon as they would have put him out the door was Tampa and they were like we can't let him go to Tampa and mm-hmm. I agree they can't let him go to Tampa I'm I'm not looking for anybody else to go to Tampa. Tampa has just been literally bringing in whoever they can. So mm-hmm. they called and they were like, so maybe, how about we could give you a seventh and you send us Gilmore instead? And they were like, a seventh? Well, that's basically like, you know, that's giving away pennies on the dollar. Mm-hmm. Can you do a little bit better? How about a six? Do you have a six in your pocket? Because a seven is not good enough. So do you have a six in your pocket that, that will make this a little bit more, you know, a little more palatable? And it's like, all right, sure, no problem. We can, we could do a six. Hmm. Not even a six for next year. I think it's a six for 2023 or something. Like that. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a couple of years long or something like that. I, I don't even care. Exactly. And they didn't care either. They were like, sure, we'll take that. And off he goes to Carolina. I'm... I remember in the chat as well. I did allude to that. I was saying, "There's no way." I feel like Bill. I don't know how serious this is, but I, I've, <laughs> I this is this is just my narrative that I'm going to stick to. I feel like Bill did not want him to end up an ally of Tom Brady, so he made him an enemy of Tom Brady. There you I, go. <laughs> I, I was saying that in the chat. It, it sounds feasible to me. Exactly. So I mean, it's a win-win. They they get him off the books. Mm-hmm. His contract is gone. They don't have to pay him and they don't have to think about him going to Tampa. No, the one thing, if he did go to Tampa, because we have acknowledged that your team is not a playoff team this year, so chances are you've already played the Bucks the one time you're going to see them this season. Mm-hmm. If he had gone to Tampa, then they would not see Gilmore again probably for the rest of his career because you know how the schedules tend yeah. to shake yeah. out. But the Panthers, the Panthers have to play the Patriots, I think, in week seven or something like yeah, that. Somewhere around there. Yeah. So you have a Does chance now. Cowboys, yeah. Because Cowboys is week six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you have a chance for another homecoming this season with Gilmore. But we wish him all the best. Oh, for sure. No, no hard feelings at, at all whatsoever. No, no. After we talk about Gilmore, then somebody else that I like. One team decides we're going to cut somebody, and then somebody says, Hey, well, let's get involved in this cutting action too. And that was the Dallas Cowboys, where you are now, and Jalen Smith. Now, they decided that Jalen Smith, he was surplus to requirements, and they cut him. And within an hour of him being released, he is signed with the Green Bay Packers for the rest of this season. Now, what I thought, what I found was interesting in this situation is that Jalen Smith is actually owed $7.2 million from the Dallas Cowboys 
after his release, they still have to pay him quite a bit for the rest of this season. Now, what in my research, I did see that there was a comment by one Jerry Jones who said that Jalen Smith has something called drop foot and that this was lingering since his last injury. Now, I had no idea what drop foot was, so I had to look that up. And it said that drop foot or foot drop is mm. a general term for difficulty lifting the front part of your foot. So you you can be walking, but you're... Interesting. Yeah, if you have foot drop or drop foot, the front mm. of your foot might drag on the ground when you walk. Foot drop isn't a disease. It is rather a sign of an underlying neurological, muscular, or anatomical problem. So one of the things that came out in that interview that Jerry Jones made was that he said basically that, yes, we've been thankful for what we've been able to get from Jalen, but the basically the prognosis for the rest of his career is not that he's going to be able to perform at the same level he's been performing and chances are his production is going to fall off so now was the time to move him if there was a time to move him so when you when you see the situation with Jalen Smith what comes to your mind um I again I, I guess Jalen Smith's name wasn't necessarily on my radar so it when it came up is when I really took note of the entire situation. And then looking back at it, I'm, again, I, I, that's what happens when players get injured. They fall out of favor, fall down the depth chart, especially if they get replaced by a younger and, and, <laughs> and um, better model. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, Michael Parsons is like the, the savior of this defense. They just, you know, like everybody just bowing down at Parsons' feet. Man could do everything at <laughs> this. And, and Jalen Smith was owed some money. He had, he had recently recently enough signed a big enough deal. Mm-hmm. He's injured. I, I see the situation in sort of the way I see um, Gilmore's in that you, you don't know that this man is going to be fit enough to play a 60-game season anymore. He's going to have this lingering injury. Um, he's getting older. And you don't want to have to shell out money every season to pay him. So, yes, while they will have to pay him the 7.2 this year, we will clear up some cap space for them in the upcoming seasons uh, um, so that they won't have to be paying a man who could potentially end up on IR in the next few games or, or, or uh, I, should, I should say, a few games into the season. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think they needed him. So they cleared up some space. It seems like a, a good enough move. I don't think there's any... Um, is any malice in it? It's what happens. And mm-hmm. Jalen Smith is talented enough at, that, as you can see, he, he was already snapped up. So another team decided to take a fire on him, and I think he deserves another chance. But I, I can't say I fault Jerry this time for cutting his time short in Dallas. Yeah, I, this is one thing that I, I agree. We, we can't really be too hard on Jerry for because it is a sensible business decision. Yeah. And it's not as if to say that Jalen Smith didn't have money still coming to him. He still has a decent amount. He's getting paid a lot more than a lot of players are getting mm-hmm. paid this season. And going out now to Green Bay, who does have a need at 
middle linebacker. It gives him an opportunity to perform, to produce. And hopefully this drop foot situation or foot drop situation is not as bad as what I read. And he is able to make a full recovery and he continues to be, you know, a strong produ producer in the NFL mm -hmm. going forward. Now, I, I mean, I always bring these things back to my team and I really need him at linebacker. So I, and we've already played the Packers. So right. him going over there does not, Effective. yeah, it does not hinder me <laughs> in any way, shape or form. So um, we can move on from, from Jalen and somebody know that got injured this week. And this one, well, I mean, there were lots of injuries this week, but this one I think is the most noteworthy of them all is Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson, for those who watched the Thursday night football game against the Los Angeles Rams, he it looked like if he just had a very bad um, dislocation or sprain of his finger. Now, what the research has shown is that he has what is called an extensor tendon rupture otherwise known as mallet finger and a comminuted fracture dislocation of the proximal i have to swallow before i try this word interphalangeal joint so basically he has a, a couple bad injuries on the top of his middle finger on his throwing hand yes so at the time when we first heard about this injury, they said that he was going to be out maybe four to eight weeks. But no, since then, he's had surgery. He had surgery on Friday. And the surgeon and the team are both expecting him to return before the end of the season. When exactly is still anyone's guess, but rehab is about to get going. Now, this is the first time that Russell Wilson is going to miss any time in his 10-year career, and that's what makes this so remarkable. He has played 149 regular season games and 16 playoff games since he was drafted and since he came into the starting position of the uh, Seattle Seahawks. So, AJ, now the question is, Geno Smith, can Geno Smith keep this team afloat? And can he potentially get the Seahawks into a playoff berth or at least keep them close enough that when Russell returns, that he can be the conquering hero on the white horse and take this team to the promised land? This is a joke, right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is no disrespect to Geno Smith. I don't think Geno Smith is a bad quarterback in the NFL, but I do think he's a backup quarterback. Um, I, I, I can't say I have enough faith in Geno to, to lead a team week in and week out, especially in this division. I, I don't see how it happens. Um, and I'm, mind you, I'm not even saying that he's going to go winless. Uh, he, he may win one, one or two games. You never know. He might even pull off three. But I do feel like the Seahawks are going to try to rush the impenetrable, the, the ever impenetrable Russell Wilson back from this injury because they will be in a very dire situation. I think they're going to rush Russell back. This is, this, is, this is unprecedented for the Seahawks in the Russell Wilson era. So they're not going to want to miss the postseason. I think they're going to rush him back way too early. As you, uh, uh, when you outlined his injury, it's an injury in his throwing hand. Mm-hmm. 
and, and a finger too. So that means, I mean, he, I, I don't see how he avoids getting hit on that finger in the future. That's the point. Because he's going to have, he's going to have people in his face once again, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this, is, this is not good for the Seahawks going forward. Not just this season. I mean for the, the, the next coming seasons. I don't know. I, 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 like, I know Russell Wilson. We all know that Russell Wilson takes care of his body. So I'd, I'd very much like to see how he bounces back from this. But I don't think that this works out long term. In the short term, Geno Smith is not going to keep these guys afloat in this division. Uh, it's not going to. I cannot see that happening. And I think the Seahawks are done this season. I, I told you from the beginning, I told you from the beginning. I'm, mind you, this is, I'm, I'm not saying this with any sort of aggression like you were seeing otherwise, but I, I told you, I don't see the Seahawks being good this year. Mind you, that was prior to Russell's injury. No, I think it was it. You could stick a fork in them. You're done. Well, I have much more to say with regards to the Seahawks and like what happened this week. In a little bit, we'll get to that. In a, we'll get to that in a second. However, in this, for this particular question that I asked, in the short term, I cannot see how the Seahawks weather the loss of their franchise quarterback. Now, Geno Smith actually did not play badly when he came he in. He didn't. On in that game on Thursday, mm-hmm. and except for the interception that he threw at the very end, he looked as if he could have made some magic happen with the Seattle offense. That said, this is still a team that is now two and three, and being two and three right now in that division, as you said, is. It not it is not a good position to be in, and mm-hmm. they are now behind the Rams in the division as well, having just lost to the Rams. So, to make a long story short, no, I do not see Gino <laughs> being able to um, steady this ship and take them even close to the playoffs. And from that perspective, I actually don't think that the Seahawks rush Russell back from from this surgery because if there is nothing to play for, why would you rush him back then? You can let him just basically take the rest of the season off, make sure that hand is good for next year, get a high draft pick, and you know, hopefully retool for the next season. The, the reason I said so, right, let me try to be succinct. The reason I said so is because based on how the Seahawks have been going about their business and transactions in the last few seasons, it's, it's, it seems to be a very win-now type of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Because Pete Carroll coming to the end. He's coming to the end. He's, he, he's getting to that stage where he's eventually going to have to step away from the game. So mm-hmm. it feels like they're, in, they're always in win-now mode, which is why I feel like they would as opposed to, like, waiting it out and getting a draft pick and that kind of thing. I, I don't know that they want to fall on that end of the spectrum, but that's just me. We'll see how it plays out. It is true. Yeah, Carroll is over 70. He is the oldest head coach in the league. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, maybe there, there is that level of impetus to want to do something different, but at the same time, they still need some help on the offensive line, and that, mm-hmm. was, one, that was one of the reasons why Russ was upset last mm-hmm. yeah. offseason. Mm-hmm. And now, just I, just one last thought on this. 
Aaron Donald. I do not know what it is with him and injuring quarterbacks' hands. <laughs> I didn't say this anywhere else. I was saving it for here. Aaron, Aaron Donald, he injured Drew Brees' hand. Right, no, it was he, Drew, was it right? Yes. Right. It was your guy. It was your guy. I know yeah, he's yeah, come yeah. back now and injured Russell Wilson's hand. Something is wrong with that man and quarterbacks' hands. or something like that. Yeah, he made a steal. Yes, something like that. Anyhow, now we are on to the Blitz. We are, you know, we've had a lot of talk about what happened outside of the games. Now we need to talk a little bit about the games. Now, of course, well, for me, this is an honorable mention because I didn't have them anywhere in my list. But Mm -hmm. the Monday Night Football game that happened on Monday night was incredible. We... Saw Lamar Jackson, the pocket passer, not the running quarterback, standing and distributing the ball all over the field to the tune of 37 completions on 43 attempts, 442 yards and four touchdowns. Lamar Jackson quarterbacks the Ravens and brings them back from a 19-point deficit to defeat the Indianapolis Colts in overtime, 31 to 25. Honorable mention, it would be remiss of me not to do this. I must be fair. I have been critical and have laughed at Carson Wentz many times, but he has been, he was very good last night with 25 of 35, 402 yards and two touchdowns, no picks. So somebody had to lose. I'm personally happy that Lamar Jackson and the Ravens were the winners. Mm -hmm. That is an honorable mention. But I don't know if you had them anywhere. Um, But let's get first to the biggest winner this week. Who was your choice of biggest winner this week? Um, I mean, you were so eloquent in speaking about last night. I think that was a big win based on how it happened. But I'm pretty sure at some point I picked the Ravens already. I'm not going to go with them again. <laughs> My biggest one is if the week actually were the Cardinals. And I'll tell you why, right? Mm. But yeah, I'll tell you why. The Cardinals were, were blowing out opposing defenses, right? They're fifth in the league in total yards. They're fourth in points per game. Against the Niners, they met a stout defense that was not giving them anything. And they still managed to grind out the win. Now, the offense as well, I had his toughest um, outing, uh, sorry, not as well, but the offense, that was his toughest outing of the season. And in turn, the defense was able to put on their best outing of the season, restricting San Francisco to, to only 10 points. Mind you, granted, they were playing against a rookie in Trey Lance, but still, the job needed to get done, and they did it. And, and kind of that, like, that's what you really want from your team sometimes, though. Especially if it's not a championship team, but you're trying to get to that level, you need those days when if one side of the ball can't get it going, the other side needs to pick up the stack and help out. Right, mm-hmm. and Arizona's offense was not getting it done the way they normally the way they had been in the first four games. But the defense stepped up, and and they allowed them they allowed the offense to still be able to to bring home the win. I'm not saying the defense didn't as well, but um, because of that, they're now five zero. Um, and and the fact is, there are two there are now two backup um, quarterbacks playing in their division. Russell Wilson is done for the first time in his career. Mm-hmm. So the Seahawks are possibly, I'm, I don't want to say they're going to be on a steady downhill, but they're possibly going to be wavering and not go on, on, on trending upwards, right? Mm-hmm. 
And then, of course, we have Trey Lance for Jimmy G. I don't even know what Jimmy G's timetable is. That's whatever. But the fact of the matter is, the Cardinals, who I don't know if many people had them to come out of this tough division, are now the only unbeaten team in the NFL in arguably the toughest division. And they are in a, a prime spot now to maintain and at least, at the very least, get into a, um, a wildcard spot. So for me, uh, that's why I'd say they're the biggest winners, my biggest winners. Okay. Now, I had two options here because I was sure that you were going to pick one of them. But since you didn't pick either of them, uh uh I'll I'll give you both. All right. So the first one Mm -hmm. was the Buffalo Bills who beat the Kansas City Chiefs at home, 38 to 20. Mm -hmm. And the fact that the scoreline is 38 to 20 and... It was not as close as this 18-point deficit would suggest. The, the Bills absolutely mollywhopped the Kansas City Chiefs. And that was a statement win both on offense and defense. And that... Uh, more on that later. <laughs> yeah. But the other team that I had picked for my biggest winner this week was mm-hmm. the LA Chargers. 47 points on that vaunted bronze defense. Yes, they gave up 42 themselves. However, this was, I I built it last week and I said that this was the clash of the up-and-coming teams, the teams who are Mm -hmm. trending upwards, the teams who have been little brother in the division for the longest. But right now, they are punching, I can't say above their weight, but they're definitely playing a lot better than we would have suspected. And the Chargers found a way to win the game, win the kind of game that, especially under Anthony Lynn, they were always losing. That's a close one. So Mm -hmm. I definitely had to give it to them as well as the biggest winner. And now they are even further ahead in their division because I think everybody else lost. Yeah. Yeah, You know what? You know what? You know, I actually had them as my second option. I'll tell you. it, it, but it's, it is it is slightly different to what you mentioned. Like, everything you said is correct, but I had them as my second option for the biggest winner. The reason being, that was a game that they really could have lost. Huh? It was a very tight game, and then there was a very questionable call very late, very late on. Now, I, I, again, you know I'm not one to necessarily blame referees. Even Baker himself came out after the game and said that they left too many, they left, um, Browns left too many points on the field, left too many players on the field. So, but... It, it was one of those calls that, yeah, it, it, it was very questionable. And without it, it the Bronx could have won the game at that point. But hey, um, so that, that's kind of why I was going to put them as a second option. But I knew you weren't going to see the cards, which is why I went with them. <laughs> <laughs> well done. All right. So then now we move on to the biggest loser. Who's your biggest loser this week? So it goes back to what you were just talking about with your biggest winner. The first name you mentioned, the Bills. And my biggest losers are the Chiefs. Now, mind you, we both picked the Chiefs to lose that game, right? So I know neither mm-hmm. of us is surprised yes. at the result. However, the reason I call them my biggest losers is I feel like they're slowly but surely losing ground in the AFC. And I don't just mean, in, uh, mind you, I said the AFC and not just the AFC South. Mm-hmm. So this is not just based on their record. This is a third loss of the season. And, and you know who, who uh, just to recap, the three QBs that they lost to, Lamar Jackson, 
Justin Herbert, and no Josh Allen. The three young, dynamic quarterbacks who right now are like the talk of the tone in the, NS, in the NFL verse, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, who people told him as yet in the, the next generation, the best, you know, the best of the best after, after Patty Mahomes and Patrick Mahomes and whatnot. Can it feels like like teams have kind of failed? Can't, like we didn't think it could happen, but it seems like they ha- kind of have a blueprint, and it seems to be working. That 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 too high safety that that the Bills played against um against Kansas City, which is the blueprint they got from um from Cleveland. Tampa Bay. From well, well, I'd say I'd say Tampa Bay in, in the Super Bowl, but mm-hmm. yeah, either way, the the there's there's that 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 is kind of like hampering Kansas City offensively and the running game is, is pretty much shot. Um, on the defensive side, the defense is absolute garbage. These men can't stop a running nose. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if your defense ain't stopping you from, from um, giving up points and then your offense is, is struggling a bit and other quarterbacks, I, I'm not going to say that they're catching up to Mahomes in terms of talent, but there are other quarterbacks who are having who are, are, are having some, some career years, who looking real good in their teams. And I just feel like no one fears the Chiefs anymore. Like they don't have that aura about them. And these teams who, who are well-constructed with these dynamic quarterbacks who can actually make plays and make things happen, they are, they are narrowing the gap. And I, I really think that the Chiefs are in trouble. But I don't doubt that the Chiefs are in trouble. Because they were my first. Oh, I mean, long term, you know. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, they were my first option for biggest losers this week too. <laughs> and I mean, as you said, one of the things that um, came out in the broadcast um, that uh, Chris Sims, not Chris mm-hmm. Sims, Chris Collinsworth, Chris oh, Collinsworth okay. said uh, during the game, he said that one of the things that the other teams are doing to the Chiefs, which they seem to have difficulty. Um, coping with is that the teams are taking Tyreek Hill out of the equation because you know Hill is the deep threat he's a splash play guy so instead of you trying to you know match him up one on one or just you know just double him or whatever we're taking away the deep ball so the safeties as opposed to standing like 15 yards 20 yards away the safeties is like 25 or 30 yards away so when they see Hill coming they just start to backpedal. Correct. So they're giving him Correct. all the room underneath. And because of that, no, it brings me now to the second thing that is the, what I notice right now is the Achilles heel of the Kansas City Chiefs. And that is their hubris. And for me to use a word like that, you know, you know I tell you that I, I have developed a certain affinity for the Chiefs. I love to yeah. see their offense when they're playing yeah. all cylinders. Mm-hmm. However, when you look uh, what other teams are doing when their like their number one option is being taken away, then they try to find something else that they can do to win the game. So I use my sense as a very brief example. We know Jameis likes to throw the ball down the field. But what mm-hmm. do we have Jameis doing a lot of right now? A lot of dinking and dunking. We, you're working close to the line of scrimmage. Yes, mm-hmm. you'll take some shots which will help to open up the underneath game so that we're not just dependent on the deep shot. However, mm-hmm. when you look at what the Chiefs are doing, the Chiefs aren't being able to make the splash, the splash plays. They're being forced to nickel and dime. They're forced to 
have 10, 12, 14 play drives to march down the field. They're not built for that mentally. It's not that they can't do it. It is that they've been so good for so long and throwing the ball down the field so much that no, to force them to do this, it makes them uncomfortable and they're making mistakes. And until Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, Patrick Mahomes, they come together and say, all right, listen, we need to institute a much more of a short to intermediate passing game, not just using this to try to set up the big play, but we are actually going to make this a part of the game plan so that then we take the shots when they're there as opposed to just trying to manufacture shots on almost every play, which is why then Patrick Mahomes is out here still running for his life, even though his line has improved. Then until they do that, they are going to find themselves in these kind of problems when they come up against teams that have a decent defense and a quarterback who is willing to take them on and can put up the points that they are accustomed to putting up. Mm-hmm. Now, I I had another team selected as well for my biggest loser, but I mean, we already talked about them. That was the Seahawks. The, mm. the no three games back of Arizona, they just lost the quarterback. So they're, they are in a lot of trouble. Um, Moral victory. Who do you have as your moral victor this week? I feel like it's very possible that we may have the same option here, but because uh, the biggest, the biggest one for me that I saw, and most blatant one was the Bengals, because um, Joe Burrow went toe to toe with Aaron Rodgers, and I mean Aaron Rodgers has a much better weapon in his offense, so he and he ended up with Clearly. more yards. Yeah. <laughs> So he ended up with Moyard. Joe Burrow's best weapon is, is, is his, his pally from LSU, who's a rookie. So there's no comparison between Jamar Chase, who, who seems to be a, a good receiver so far, but there's no comparison to arguably the best receiver in the game in Devontae Adams, right? That is correct. But, but both teams had chances to wrap up the game in regular time, but as, as we were joking about, the kickers chose week five in the NFL to, to have a historically putrid um, week. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if you saw that stat, but you know that week five saw the most ever missed um, extra points in, 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 in a week in NFL history? Yeah, 19 in, misses. 13, 13. No, 13 oh. extra points. It, I, oh. I, I, I extra. think it, it, it may have been 19 misses in total, but 13 yes. extra point misses, right. Mm-hmm. Right. So anyway, the game goes into overtime and eventually the team with, with more metal, uh, with more experience, comes out the winners, a, a field kick, from Mason Cross, Mason Crossbar. Um, Let's <laughs> say so free kick, field goal from Mason Crossbar. But I feel like the Bengals did well. And that win shouldn't demoralize them, but it should instead like motivate them to, real, to, to show that, you know what? We're not a pushover team. We're definitely not the worst team in our division. So, That's for sure. They, <laughs> so there is still hope for us to, to, to push on and and, and, and still get more wins this season and possibly be an above 500 team. Well, I actually did not have the same team as you for my moral victories. Well, that's good. <laughs> no, I know we have some, we have some um, colleagues in some chats who um, hail for this team. And one of them, he has been saying before the season even began that he wants to get a refund on his quarterback. And that's the Indianapolis Colts. But... They will be interested to know that I have the Colts as my moral victors for this week. The Colts have not looked good pretty much all season long. They have struggled 
often in games and they have not played very well with their mm-hmm. quarterback who we didn't even know how much he was going to play. We, I mean, to be fair, we still don't know how much he's going to play, sure. but he's playing right now and he just had the best game of his career. The Colts are still in a dumpster fire of a division. And what they have shown in this game with the running game looking good, with the quarterback being able to make plays, the wide receivers and more Ali Cox at tight end, they've been playing, they played really well against what we all consider to be a relatively stout defense with the Baltimore Ravens. They should take heart and they should be telling themselves, well, okay, if we can do this on the road against the Ravens, Maybe when we get back home and we have our, we are in our building, we have the rest of the season ahead of us, maybe we can actually try to harness what we had in the first half. We can, you know, we set fire to what happened when Lamar Jackson went hurry up and then they just couldn't keep up. But they can take what they did in the first half and hopefully build on that. Now, the, the caveat is that they don't have much help right now at corner because they mm-hmm. lost both their starting corners in that game. They lost their safety as well. Their secondary was in trouble. And that made life easier for mm-hmm. Lamar. But at the same time, they can put up points and the rest of the defense is still pretty good. Hopefully, this is a sign of better to come. And maybe... Maybe Carson Wentz is able to convince the fans of Indy that a refund is not required. All right, so that brings us to the end of the Blitz. I know we just quickly look ahead to week six. Now, week six begins the bye weeks. And for especially those of you who play fantasy, this is usually the start of headaches and trying to find some replacements. And this week, we have the New Orleans Saints, the Atlanta Falcons, the New York Jets, and the San Francisco 49ers. They are all on their buys this week. So, AJ, what games are you looking forward to the most for week six? Um, this might surprise you, but I'm actually looking forward to the Thursday night game, the Bucks versus Eagles. Um, I had to, I had to write an article about that. And so uh, this is why. So the Bucks have the best run defense in the league. They've given up the, the least yards on the ground in the entire NFL. However, they have the worst passing defense, giving up the most yards to the air. No, the Eagles can pass the ball, but they can't run it. So I think this actually makes for a more interesting, a more interesting um, matchup, and, and it plays into the Eagles' wheelhouse. And added to that, like it's a short, it's a, a short week, and those games always seem to 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 be a little more nitty gritty. You know, it, like I said, short week teams traveling and all that, and with injuries um, coming into the fall, um, it is it it adds a bit of injury to me. Secondly, there's the my game, the Cowboys versus the past, my team versus my current home city, um, for, for personal reasons, of course. But on a serious note, the Pats have a top five defense. So I kind of want to see if we would be able to slow down Dallas a bit. I don't know how possible it is because Dallas has played a top five defense for the season so far in Carolina, but that was at home. And they mollywopped them, to use your word. Um, put up 36 points on a Carolina team that I don't think had given up uh, double digits in points up to up to then. I was in week four, so 
the fact that Dallas tore that defense apart, um, this time they're on the road. So I want to see what we do. And then I'll just say the last game is Chargers versus Ravens. And I don't think I need to explain why. It is true. And I am with you on the Chargers versus Ravens. That was one of my picks. That actually was the first one I had selected. Um, that game is definitely going to be interesting. Then mm -hmm. the other two games that I had picked, the Cardinals versus the Browns. The Cardinals versus the Browns is going to be a very good game because the Browns, they still have a good defense, even though they just gave up 47 points to the Chargers. But this is a different prospect. This is a different proposition coming in, though, because, you know, you don't have big Justin Herbert standing behind you. You know, you have short, uh, what's his name? <laughs> Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray behind that <laughs> offensive line, who also can run. And we're seeing interesting things happening for the Cardinals' run game is better than I thought it was going to be coming into this season. So I'm very curious to see how their defense is going to match up against the Cardinals' offense. And then the Cardinals defense, which has been playing very well as well, how they are going to be able to handle business when it comes when they go up against the Browns' two-headed rushing attack. And then finally, it was the Seahawks and the Steelers. These are two teams that are both in trouble for differing reasons. The Steelers, they just lost Juju Smith-Schuster for the rest of the season with a shoulder injury. Ben... Looked better last week than he has all season. But, I mean, to be honest and to be fair, that's the low bar that he set so far this season. So, we have to wait and see what that, what that looks like. On the other end, we have the Seahawks, who are playing their backup quarterback. But they still have a lot of weapons on offense. Mm -hmm. So, the Steelers' defense has not been performing at the level that it has in the past, where it can carry this misfiring offense. So it's going to be interesting to see how that game plays out. Now, that brings us to the end of our topics for this week. And it is your turn with our final thought for this week. So I, I have no idea what you're talking about, sir. So take it away. No, it's, it's nothing negative. It's no rant this week. We started off the show talking about a couple of grim topics. And firstly, talking about a head coach in the NFL a winning coach at that, Super Bowl winning coach who had some very disparaging things to say, especially about women. Um, even before that was added to our rundown for tonight, one of the things, one of the things I thought about speaking about, which after hearing about that incident sort of cemented my stance on, on speaking about this right now, was just, it's actually nothing bad, you know. I just generally want to, to outline the fact that there a couple of female athletes that I'd like to talk about. Um, so our focus here on Green Bay is usually the NFL. So we don't necessarily get the chance to speak about female athletes on a, on a very regular basis. But that's why I kind of want to highlight a couple of female athletes tonight. Because I'm not, I'm pretty sure you're, you're aware, but I don't know if, if you're following, but the WNBA finals are currently in progress, right? And in that, um, in those finals, there are two of the greats of, the, of women's basketball going at it. Candace Parker, number one over, overall pick in the 2008 WNBA draft by the LA Sparks. She was Rookie of the Year and All-American, League MVP, and All-WNBA First Team. She was a rebounding leader and the Female Athlete of the Year as per the Associated Press. All of this was in her rookie season, 2008, right? Now, I won't, she has so many accolades, I won't go into all of them, 
But throughout her fame career, she did win a championship with the Sparks in 2016. It's her sole one up to this point. She was a finals MVP in that um, championship run. And after 13 seasons in LA, in LA, she left the Sparks to come further to the Midwest. And she's now at the Chicago Sky and helped them get back to the WNBA Finals, which is going to be only their second appearance. Well, it's not going to be because it's already begun, but it is their second appearance in a WNBA Finals, right? The previous one, they did not win. I think they actually lost to the team that I'm about to, to mention um, right now, uh, who was led by um, Diana Taurasi, the Phoenix Mercury, and Diana Taurasi, who was the number one pick as well in the 2004 NBA draft. There's a couple of women who have been around this game for a while. That's why, so they're undisputed grace in, in this thing, right? Tarasi herself was a rookie of the year and all NBA, uh, all WNBA first team. She's a five-time scoring champion in, in the league, a three-time WNBA champion, two-time finals MVP, and one-time league MVP. She spent her entire career so far with the Phoenix Mercury and is now trying to win her fourth chip, which would put her among some elite company, right? Mm -hmm. There are many of them in that because this league began in, I think it's 97. So I think four of, there is um, Rebecca Brunson. I know she has five rings, but there, and there are a few with four, like all the, all those who played for the Comets in the first four years. And then Maya Moore has four. I'm not sure who else is on the list, but Tarasi is looking to get into that um, elite bracket with regards to rings, right? So game one already took place and um, the Sky won that game 91 to 77 and game two is Wednesday night. No, the thing is, um, the Sky have, like I said, they've never won uh, a championship and they have the one finals appearance and the Phoenix, Phoenix have as many rings as Tarasi has. Like they've only won from the time she's been a part of the organization. No, I just wanted to highlight this because like, like I said, we don't get many opportunities to speak about um, women's sports. And right now with this going on and, and with the two heavyweights going at it, like this is something that I'm actually going to tune into. The game one was on Sunday night and I got completely wrapped up in the NFL and, and forgot that game. But again, game two tonight, Wednesday night, um, I am definitely, definitely going to be tuning into that. There's nothing specifically going on then, but I, I want to be a part of witnessing this series. So uh, if, 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 you in, if you're interested in seeing some greats, um, regardless of, of their, of their um, gender orientation, then tune into this to this series. It should be a very good one. Yep, it definitely should be because I remember I saw when the playoffs had first begun, the when we talked about Chicago Sky, that they you know they were the sixth seed getting into the playoffs. Yeah, and as a sixth seed, nobody really expects you to get very far. However, they did have Candace Parker, and if you have the best player on the floor. You always have a chance. And a real CP3, I call her. It, it is true. <laughs> and now, like, I actually kind of lost track of what was happening in the WNBA. Mm -hmm. And now that you say that, you know, her team is in the finals, it's like, yeah, I'm I'm there. I'm definitely going to mm -hmm. be paying attention yeah. to that. Yeah. Candice Parker versus Tarasi. I mean, obviously, there are other players there to talk about. But like I said, these are the two heavyweights. And yep. I'm, I'm actually very interested in seeing the remainder of this series. Correct. And anytime you have two heavyweights going at it, I mean, we can only hope that it goes as entertaining as Tyson Fury. As I, was, I know you're about to say that. <laughs> as Fury and Wilder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. 
Because that was also a very entertaining game. Oh, yeah, that was. Well, no, I said game. Boston match. match. Yeah. Yes. No, that is a great spot for us to end this week's episode of the Green Bridge Podcast. Of course, you know, like, subscribe, tell a friend. As always, that is AJ. He is the Green. I am Ken. I am the Bridge. And we will see you next time.